Thank you. Uh, my name is Steve Murray. I'm one of the pastors here at Lohia Community Church. We welcome you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for this uh, Ash Wednesday service. Uh, and if Ash Wednesday is new to you, I want to just give you one word that will guide you through the whole process. Present. Be present to God. And uh, the music that you just heard sung and that you perhaps sang along to is an expression of being present. It's your intentional desire to be present to God and to see what he wants to do in you, in us, in this uh, short period of time that we have together in the next hour. And so um, there's going to be words spoken in a few moments to continue this intentional presenting of ourselves to God. Uh, so you'll hear a reader read something, and you'll see in, in uh, the bulletin, uh, the uh, guide to worship, it'll say, people, that's your response. So pay attention. When you, when you see the, re the reader reading, you hear it, your immediate response is to be the people. And so you'll say that, um, and you'll see that it's, a, it's continuing to prayer, prepare our hearts. And it's a prayer of confession. And part of that is simply to be uh, honest to God. And so even though these are formal words we're saying together, we're recognizing that each and every one of us uh, wants to stay current with God uh, in terms of our, of our absolute need for his absolute grace. And so we'll punctuate the evening with songs, with scripture, with uh, a brief message, and then there'll be four stations that I'll explain to you in, uh, later in the service. So Lord Jesus, we come before you intentionally wanting to be present uh, to your presence. Uh, we want to open our hearts and minds to you, uh, to listen uh, for your uh, word spoken through your Holy Spirit in our thoughts, uh, in the promptings that we experience deep within. As we hear your word sung, uh, spoken, prayed, Lord, we want to respond to you, to be present to what you want to do, to alert us uh, to the work you want to do in us, to give us life, to lead us into a place of abundance through a wilderness uh, that would rob us of that abundance. But Lord, uh, we pray that you would meet us in the midst of this service, that we would uh, be reminded of our mortality, uh, that we would be reminded of our absolute need for your absolute grace. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ is with you. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. Our Lord forgives our sins and heals our infirmities. He redeems us with his grace and clothes us with mercy and loving kindness.
1 John 1, 8 through 9. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word is not in us. Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love. Because of your great compassion, blot out the stain of my sins. Against you and you alone have I sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight. You will be proved right in what you say, and your judgment against me is just. Purify me from my sins, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Oh, give me back my joy again. You have broken me. Now let me rejoice. Thank you for not banishing me from your presence and for not withholding you, your Holy Spirit, from me. You do not just desire a sacrifice, or I would offer one. You do not want a burnt offering. So now, as a community, we get to enter into a time of silence and open our ears up, our minds up, and our eyes up to hear the one who can make all things beautiful.
Dear God, I'm consistently amazed at how much silence is kind of awkward, and especially in the midst of so many people. But I know you're a God who speaks. Many of us have heard you before, Father, and I know you're a God who wants to radicalize. But as we seek you in this next season and head towards Easter and head towards a time where we get to remember and focus on what you did on the cross and what you really did as you rose again, Father. I pray that you would speak to us in the coming days as an individuals, as a community, in our families, in our extended families, as a church body, in all the different little parts of our lives, Lord, I pray that you would be the thing that knits them all together. God, I pray that you would truly start to make things more beautiful. It is in you and you alone that I think we can live whole and abundant lives that radiate your goodness, Father. So please show us a little bit more what that looks like tonight, but may this be a spark that turns into a fire, and may we be different people because of it. Amen.
be seated. So what comes to mind when you hear the word wilderness? What comes to mind when you hear the word wilderness? Uh, is it a positive connotation? Is it a negative connotation? Um, it can be a place of desolation and despair. If you've ever been lost in the wilderness, you know that. Uh, it can be a place for adventure, uh, discovery, uh, rejuvenation. It can be the kind of place that you go out on a backpack trip and you come back so fired up that you got to be out uh, in Yosemite, the High Sierra, wherever you go, the Cascades. Uh, recently, <clears throat> a friend of mine who is a, a, a Christian leader in another part of the country was coming uh, through town on his way to a, a gathering up in Orange County, and he said, hey, can we get together and have lunch? So I said, yeah, great, that would be great. So we got together, and we're catching up. And, and uh, we, we started talking about Ash Wednesday. And I said, he said, what are you going to do for Ash Wednesday? And I said, he said, do you do Ash Wednesday? I said, yes, yes, we do. Um, uh, he said, what are you going to talk about? I said, well, I'm going to talk about wilderness. And basically, I'm going to suggest that everybody go out to Joshua Tree. He said, you're kidding. I said, no. <laughs> No, I want to be kidding. He said, well, no, just because the timing. He said, my son really, really, really wanted to go to Joshua Tree. He's a freshman in college. And uh, he said, Dad, I really want to go to Joshua Tree. He said, okay, well, you know, it's a wilderness, right? He goes, he goes yeah, yeah, I, I can handle that. And, well, you've never been in a wilderness. They, they, grew up in, they grew up in the in the Northwest. Everything is green. You put a popsicle stick in the ground and a tree sprouts up, you know. I mean, it is so verdant and green. And he said, you know what you're getting into? He said, oh, yeah, I'm so ready for it. I want to get some time on my own, and this is over the Christmas break. And so he, he flies in <laughs> to Southern California, and he hitchhikes to Joshua Tree. He, he has some gear. He goes into Joshua Tree. How many of you have ever been to Joshua Tree? Okay. Joshua Tree is like the moon, only not as nice. <laughs> uh, I have spent so many hours and days, cumulatively weeks in Joshua Tree, climbing, hanging out, camping. I love it. I love the solitude, the wildness of it. So he's telling me this, and I'm smiling, thinking, this could be either a really good story or a really bad story. I said, so, and he's looking at me, and he said, yeah, it gets worse. I said, well, it hasn't gotten bad yet. He goes, oh, but it gets worse. So basically, this young man who had all this wonderful sense of what the wilderness could be goes out there, he sets up a tent, and I said, you told him there's no water, right? He goes, yeah, he knew that, so he brought some water. So he's in Joshua Tree, going to be there for three days. And within the first few hours, he's thinking, it's really quiet here. It's really, really quiet here. And it's still daytime. And so he pulls out his phone. He puts in his earbuds. And he's listening to music. And then it gets late, and he eats something, and it gets dark. And, well, what do I do now? So he just gets in a sleep bag, and he's lying there. And it's, did I mention? It's really, really quiet out there. Well, he was so unnerved by how quiet it was uh, that he said it was the longest night of his life. And as soon as it was, it, it was light enough, he, he hiked out and, and started hitchhiking to get the next plane uh, back to where he goes to college. Well, wouldn't you know, God's uh, sense of humor, and, and by way of divine appointment, this, this, this guy pulls over and picks him up. And first of all, it's taking a very long time to get a ride. He's really ticked off now. Why won't somebody pick me up? If you've ever been to Joshua Tree and see some of the folks who pass through there, I would never pick up anybody, nor would I hitchhike there. And I've hitchhiked all over the United States. I would never hitchhike through there. It's scary looking. So here's this 18-year-old guy going, uh, these are scary looking people. They're not picking me up. I'm bummed out, but I'm kind of happy. And so finally, he's so desperate, this, 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 this kind of scary looking dude pulls over and goes, get in. He starts to get in the back seat. He goes, get in the front seat. 
okay. He's thinking, I got to get out of here. I got to get, okay, I'll take the ride. So he's sitting there, and the guy goes, so what are you doing? He said, well, I came to hang out in Joshua Tree. How long have you been here? Now it gets really awkward. Uh, like eight hours, <laughs> ten hours maybe. He said, well, how long did you plan on being here? Several days. What happened? And he starts to tell him his tale of woe. It was so quiet. It was unnerving. And, and, he's, and this guy's just listening and looking like through his soul, you know. So I'll, and my friend by now is saying, it felt to my son like an angel had been plopped down in a funky-looking car in Joshua Tree to give him a message. And he said, you know, son, that's why people come here, to get into the solitude of the wilderness, to think about things that matter. To think about the things that really we're too afraid to look at, at the, in those times when we're so busy and preoccupied. Maybe even to listen to God. And he's thinking, Dad, did you send this guy? You know, um, he said, wow, yeah, thanks, man. I really appreciate that. So he calls his dad, and he's really defeated. Because, Dad, uh, I'm, I'm going to jump on a plane in, in a few minutes, but I want to let you know I'm, I'm leaving Joshua Tree. And he said, well, son, what happened? He goes, nothing. That's the problem. I wouldn't let it happen. He said, are you feeling kind of defeated? He said, I'm feeling really defeated. So here's the thing about the wilderness. The wilderness is this incredible place where God meets us. By this, I don't mean just the natural wilderness, which certainly it is that. I'm talking about the, the figurative wilderness that God wants to lead us through, to engage us in deep places and in profound ways that we are really, really resistant to. We do not like the silence that forces us to reflect on who we are and what we are and where we are, who we're not, what we're not, and where we're not. And so wilderness features prominently in the biblical narrative. And really, and this is what Ash Wednesday is about. It should feature prominently in our narrative. Our country is so wealthy that it hides our impoverishment, our deep, deep impoverishment of spirit. We are the most destitute people on the planet because we understand so little about what makes us truly satisfied. And God wants to get through all the layers of all of our defenses and all of our preoccupations to get to that place, not to torture us or torment us with our sins, our emptiness, but to meet us there. And you know what? Uh, I want to talk to you for just a few moments about what that looks like. Uh, where we get a lot of information about the wilderness experience of the people of God, of Israel, if, after they were led out of captivity, is the book of Numbers. The book of Numbers is called the book of Numbers because it records uh, on two occasions a census was taken. So two censuses, or I guess sensi if you're Latin students, uh, were taken of the people of Israel. But the real name of the book, Numbers, is a kind of a lame name when you think about it. Uh, would you name anything after a census? No. Uh, the book is really in Hebrew. The real name of the book in Hebrew is this, B'midbar, B'midbar. It's in the desert because it chronicles 40 years in the wilderness for the people of God. And most of the time they were moaning and groaning and complaining, saying, how long do we have to be here? Uh, and of course, God's answer was, until you understand who I am and who you are, and how and why I'm leading you into a land of promise. 
Until you can focus here, you'll never thrive there. We live in, uh, in, our, in, in really, it's such an easy case to make. We live in probably one of the most promising, verdant places on the planet. But we don't know where we are. We don't recognize it for what it is. So we settle for something so minimal, so impoverished, called materialism. Materialism of spirit. We just add all kinds of things on, but it doesn't really deeply touch us because it's all about stuff. It's all about experiences that don't really connect us to our true heart or the heart of God. So in the desert, that's what the book of Numbers is all about. But we really get the best summary of the book of Numbers in the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy, uh, the second telling of the law. Deuteronomos, the second telling of the law. And in this second telling of the law, in chapter 8, in just two verses, we see a summary of 40 years of wilderness living. And here's what, what Moses tells us. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years? He didn't ask it as a question, though. He didn't say, remember that? He says it like this, as a command. Remember, remember, don't forget how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years. Why? To humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart. Or perhaps, parenthetically, what wasn't in your heart. Whether or not you would keep his commands. What, was, what were his commands? They weren't just onerous things, do this and don't do that. It was learn to love me and trust me. How tough is that? I want to provide for you a land of promise, a place of promise, so that you would become a people of promise. That's what I want to do. Obey that command. And so Moses goes on to say, he humbled you. That is, he took everything away that might distract you. He took everything that might stand between you and him. He took away everything that might get in the way so that you wouldn't hear him and see him and experience him and end up knowing him. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, food that he miraculously provided, which neither you nor your ancestors had known. What is this stuff? That's what manna means. What is it? Why did he do this? To teach you that man, mankind, humankind, men and women, boys and girls, youth, Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Does that sound familiar to you? Remember when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness? This is what Jesus quoted to Satan to rebuke him. So here's the big idea. God didn't save Israel from the wilderness, but led them through it to a fruitful life. God wants, to, wants you to be in a place of wilderness. That is a place of quiet, of solitude. A place that is unencumbered by all the distractions. Now, unfortunately, most of you have school. So you're going to still go to school. Most of you have a job, so you're still going to work. So you're still going to go through your routine. But in the midst of that routine, God wants you to find a place of quiet, of solitude. And maybe even for some part of that time, a true place of quiet and solitude. I'll, t I'll get to that in a few moments. Why? Because he wants to prepare you for this fruitful life. But unless your roots go deep in him, there'll be no fruit from him. He uses the wilderness, as he did in Israel, to prepare them, to discipline them, to reveal their hearts to them. Do you know your own heart? See, under that hardness of heart, or that confusion of heart, there's a heart in you that is so desirous of God. And God wants you to get to that place where he can say, here's your true heart. It's not your deceitful heart that you keep thinking I want to punish you about. It's the heart that yearns for me, is hungry for me, is thirsty for me. 
is calling and crying out to me. Your true heart. And so a hard-hearted generation had to die in the wilderness. 40 years of wandering. Why? So that a generation could die. They would not open their hearts to God. And they kept filling up the silence and the solitude with noise, 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 noise. Murmuring, moaning, whining, complaining. And God, meanwhile, raised up a new generation. And so God did not save Israel from the wilderness, but led them through it to a fruitful life. Matthew 4, we see Jesus going into the wilderness for 40 days following his baptism. Again, a picture of Israel, but now personified in Christ. He's going to show us how to do it right. And so the Spirit actually led him to be tempted by the devil out in the wilderness, unencumbered by anything, propped up by nothing, just him in the presence of God and now confronting his enemy or being confronted by his enemy. And of course, afterwards, angels ministered to him. But in the wilderness, he fasted, he prayed, and then faced the devil and rebuked him with God's word, speaking back uh, to Satan, the very words that Satan was trying to entrap him with, misquoting and distorting God's word until Jesus was able to rebuke him with God's word. So Jesus, in a sense, goes right back through again what, what Israel went through, only this time he gets it right. Now, none of this surprised Jesus. Why? Because he chose it. He submitted to it. He went out of his way to be there, to be present to the Father in the wilderness and to be present to the enemy in the wilderness. He waited on the Lord, and the Lord delivered him. In fact, he expected God to use this experience to fulfill his promises and to fulfill his purposes in Jesus. So once again, we see that God didn't save Jesus from the wilderness, but led him through it into a fruitful season of ministry. And so the wilderness is the place the Lord meets us and prepares us for his promises. It's not an inconvenient detour, an unnecessary, fruitless waste of time. It's the most fruitful use of time that we can put our arms and minds and hearts around. Because it's God time. That's what the Sabbath is, the Shabbat. It's not wasted time, empty time, lonely, underutilized time, missing great opportunities time. It's time to be fully present to the, to the living God who doesn't take any good thing from us. What does he do? He wants to bless us with every good and perfect gift. From the fullness of his grace, he fills us and blesses us with every blessing. I've had some incredibly transformational moments in Joshua Tree. How about you? Or in Yosemite or in the High Sierras. Uh, or sometimes in just a quiet place in the middle of a very busy, loud city. And I'm really antsy when I first start out. I'm, 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 I'm tempted to check my mail, to check my messages, to do things, to think about things. And all the crazy voices in my head, you know, about what I have to do, what I didn't do, what I should do, and random thoughts. But if I sit there long enough, something happens. Something amazing happens. And after a while, it's like, I don't want it to end. Sometimes I fall asleep, but I wake up and think, I feel refreshed, but I didn't sleep very long. And bit by bit, I see that God is using this mini wilderness even, not to take me out of it, but to lead me through it to a better place, a better sense of who I am and who he is in me. And so the Lord wants to meet you in this season called Lent. 40 days, not including the Sundays. Celebrated at the very end with the resurrection of Jesus at Easter. And so the season of Lent is a wilderness experience for God's people. Why? Because we need regular times to regroup and refocus. And the busier you are, 
the more necessary it is. At Lent, we emulate Jesus. Why? Because he would often get away in the wilderness to pray. Isn't that interesting? The Savior of the world found it absolutely necessary and essential to take time off to be quiet before God. That's why the psalmist says, be still and know that I am God. Not be still and just understand that I'm God. Be still and know me as God. And so therefore, I, I encourage each one of us, I challenge each one of us. If I had the power and authority, I would command each one of us uh, to embrace Lent as a spiritual wilderness experience. And so literally, I, if you can pull off the time, go camping in Joshua Tree. Go out to Joshua Tree and, and, and just sit there and look around. Go for a hike. If you have to climb, climb. They're little tiny climbs anyway. You're less than one pitch and you can do a climb. And then sit down uh, on top of that uh, rock or back in your campsite and just simply think about who God is and what he might be wanting to tell you and do in your life. Let all the lies of Satan fall away. Let the promises of God replace that emptiness, that emptiness of despair that now what? Who am I? What am I? Where am I going? God wants to fill you with an answer to that question and those questions. Take a local hike, sit on the beach, visit a monastery. There's, there's at least three monasteries in, in, within an hour of San Diego. Two of them up in Oceanside. In 40 minutes, you can be sitting in a monastery in a quiet chapel. And, and reason, why a monastery? Because it's different enough from what you do every day that it'll get your mind in a different place. You can attend a service there or just sit there. Uh, find a garden. Find a beautiful place and just sit there. But give yourself time to focus, to get over the noise and the clutter and the clatter in your head. Unplug and unwind. Get time alone for silence, for, for reflection, for prayer, for journaling. Why? Because you're hungry and you don't know it. You're thirsty and you don't know it. You're impoverished and you don't know it. You might know it up here, but until we take the time to let it resonate in here, we don't know how to receive it, how to benefit from it. It's a distraction from our really awesome life. But as we allow ourselves to be distracted by the living God of the universe, we realize oftentimes it's a really awful life because we don't include him in it. So Ash Wednesday marks the beginning of a 40-day journey to Easter when we get to celebrate the resurrection. God is inviting us into a redemptive season of deep reflection and restoration. Just let me throw out seven ways that's true and let those go over your head and into your heart perhaps. One, he calls us to face our demons and our spiritual strongholds, those beliefs and behaviors that hold us back from experiencing God's goodness, those sins that so easily entrap us. Jesus will direct you and deliver you. The second big idea comes out of that. He calls us to repentance, a turning toward him, a continuous turning toward him. Not to shame us or humiliate us, but to liberate us and to deliver us from the lies of Satan that your sin is you, your failures are you, your doubts are you, rather than these are just things you face in this wilderness of life. Third, he calls us to remember his mighty works, that he's bigger and better than anything or anyone we can imagine. He's bigger and better than Satan. He's bigger and better than our great dreams and hopes and aspirations. He's greater and bigger and better than our, our wonderful intentions. Why? Because he is God. And he meets us right where we are. We don't have to put on a special outfit or uniform or get all um, dressed up for him. In fact, what he wants to do is to strip away everything that would keep us from really seeing him and experiencing him in his full grandeur. And so in that moment, he calls us to rebuke the lies of Satan. Why? Because they're lies. And what do we replace them with? 
the Word of God. Reclaim the Word of God. In your time of solitude, maybe don't read the whole Bible. Maybe read a passage and then focus on one verse, or perhaps in that verse, one word. And what happens then is the fifth thing. He calls us to be refreshed by the promises of his word. Promises that only he can fulfill. The sixth thing is he calls us to remember his deep, 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 deep love for us. And finally, seven, he calls us to be renewed by his Holy Spirit within us. Not because of who we are, but because of who he is. I hope that's resonating with you in some small way. Take a drive up to Sequoia to Joshua Tree. Drive as far as you can uh, in a day and spend a night or two and then drive home. Maybe every day this Lenten season, take an hour and take a quiet walk and park yourself someplace where you can enjoy beauty and less distraction than you normally face. Perhaps next time you, you pick up your phone, say, every time I pick up my phone, I'm going to say, before I do anything with it, I'm going to say, Lord, um, I'm thinking of you right now. Maybe every time you go to do the normal thing you do, just punctuate your day with, Lord, I know you're with me. I'm ready to see some things and experience some things, even in the midst of my routine. This is a rich, rich season. It's a giant feast. A giant feast. Isn't that funny? Lord Jesus, how humorous it is to think that you want to give us so much and we resist in every way imaginable. You want to bless us and we find it burdensome. You want to lift us, we find it so heavy. You want to inspire us and we, we find it so boring. You want to speak truth to us and we find, it, we find it so uncomfortable. You want to forgive us and we want to rationalize that away. Lord, I pray that you'd overwhelm all of our defenses this season of Lent that you would give us a deep abiding sense of your presence, the power and the, and the refreshment of your word, the joy and the beauty of being with your people in your presence together. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, we're going to release you to be able to sit where you are and simply meditate on God uh, by his word, read some of the things in the, in the, in the order of worship, or uh, come forward. Jesus said, uh, this is my body given for you. Take this, receive it in, in my name. This is my blood shed for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Come as you will. There'll be nobody presenting it to you, but if you're, when you're ready, come and simply read what's written here. Take a piece of that gluten-free matzah and dip it in the cup of unfermented grape juice. Holy communion. Perhaps go over to this station and, and read, read what's written there and, and light a candle. Pause at these places and just savor the presence of God. Over here, there's nothing to do but simply to remember who you are and who he is. And so read what's written there and, and stand to the side, let other people read it, and just simply stand in his presence. And then finally, uh, go back to these stations. There's two, one on each side where somebody will have some, some uh, ash mixed with olive oil. And they'll take that and, they'll, and they'll, they'll put a cross on your forehead or on your hand. Some people prefer it on their hand. They can look at it and focus on it. That God's marked them. Others like it on their head because it means I want you to so transform me by the renewing of my mind. In any case, we're going to take about 20 minutes to simply be present to God at any of these stations or simply where you're seated. Music will be playing. Feel free to sing, to reflect on the words. And then we'll uh, uh, finally end with a benediction, a blessing, an important moment of the evening. God wants to bless you and keep you. And then as we leave, we'll leave in silence, simply savoring the moment of uh, being together in his presence. So Lord Jesus, again, I commit my brothers and sisters to you, even as I commit myself to you, that we would open our hearts and our minds to you in a way that makes us feel very vulnerable 
that we would risk an encounter with you. Not just this evening, but for the rest of this season as we prepare to celebrate the most amazing thing in human history, your resurrection from the dead. So in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Can we all sing that one more time together? Great and mighty that cross on your head or on your hand where you can see it or where it's seen Christ is with you in the wilderness here's the good news Christ not only leads you into the wilderness he leads you through the wilderness don't resist the wilderness experience the one you choose or the one that is chosen for you because Christ is using this to make you his own He's marked you in ways that you can't even see to go deep into your spirit because you are being transformed and renewed in the very image of God. It remains yet to see what we shall be, but even now we experience his grace as we walk with him in love, live in him by grace, one day at a time, all the days of our lives. You have his abiding presence, and that means you have enough. And so now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon us all, giving us his love, his peace, his mercy, his forgiveness, his power, both now and forever, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.